0: Welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast, where I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors, four pillars of my life as I pursue a happier, healthier, and more successful life. And I want that for you as well. So I happen to record conversations and talk about gear like I would with my buddies off camera and uh, share that with you guys. I want you guys to for some reason you trust my opinion, <laughs> which I appreciate, but get the feedback that I have from different gear and companies that I get to work with. And then of course, like today, where we have the Saturday sit down edition, and I get to share conversations with you from guests that I've had on, whether it be someone who is like me and is on their journey to get better at hunting and uh, the outdoors and fitness, etc., or someone who has mastered their craft and and continues to get better and find consistent success. And I wanna share that conversation with you as well. So follow along wherever you're listening to the podcast if you're on the audio only version. If you're listening on YouTube, or if you haven't tuned in on YouTube, I highly recommend going over and subscribing to the YouTube channel. You're able to watch the full videos, the gear reviews I feel like are better over on YouTube because you're able to actually see the gear that I'm handling there in the camera. And then you get to see the conversations in uh, almost as if you're there in person. On YouTube. So go check out that channel, guys. I really appreciate your support. And here on the audio-only version, leave reviews wherever it is that you're listening, Spotify, Apple, etc. It doesn't matter. Leave a one-word review. Don't need to take a ton of your time. I just would appreciate leaving a review as we continue to grow. And that's how we're getting out to new eyeballs and, and new people in the audience. Now, here's your personal invite, guys. I want you to come join us over at two groups that we have on Facebook. One group that I help support and I, I help run is the First Form Outdoors Facebook group. You're gonna find an amazing group of individuals that wants you to genuinely get better. No comparisons, no uh, pulling each other down. It's a private group where you can go in there and just learn tips, tricks, tactics, whatever for your fitness journey, for your fishing, hunting, getting outdoors. Maybe you'll even come across your new best friend over there. Uh, Maybe even another family that you can go out on hiking and camping adventures that you would have never met if it hadn't been for this group. So go check that out. We've got some meetups coming up here. And of course, my personal group that I run is the Day One Crew with the mentality of treating every day as if it's your day one on your journey where you're pumped up, you're passionate, you're, you're excited, and uh, whatever it is that your goals are, we want you to have the tools to get better. You're going to have more one-on-one interaction with me over there along with the amazing group of individuals that we have in the day one crew. So go over there. If you're not on Facebook, I 100% understand. Shoot me an email and we'll get you in on our weekly calls for those groups. The, so that you can also learn and, again, meet people uh, that are going to just want you to get better. So now, with that being said, guys, I have an amazing guest for you today. His name is Ike Eastman. He is the president of Eastman's Publishing. Uh, he does he writes articles. He goes on amazing hunts. He shares journeys and adventures. He's big into conservation. I love what they're doing over there, especially after this last year where we had a, a nasty winter Uh, for the wildlife, and they're getting involved so that mistakes that were made uh, don't get made in the future, and also how we can correct those uh, mistakes so that we can help the wildlife continue to thrive uh, throughout the West and throughout the U.S. So, with that being said, guys, here we go into our conversation with Ike Eastman. Everyone, and welcome back to the Red Beard Outdoors podcast. I've got an outstanding guest here. We've got Ike Eastman, who is the owner and president of Eastman's Publishing, and there's tons of things we're going to get into today, guys. Lots of interesting topics uh, about wildlife, hunting, things along those lines. But before we get into that, Ike, who are you for people that maybe don't know who you are, but do know Eastman's?
1: Yeah. So, um I'm third generation in in the outdoor industry. My grandfather was Gordon Eastman, my father was Mike Eastman. Um grandfather started filming in the outdoors in the 1957. He was filming in Alaska and bringing the films down and live narrating them. Um I often get people saying, "Oh man, I watched your grandpa's stuff when I, you know, I was a little kid and these are 7-year-old men." When I was a little kid, my dad, you know, took us to the high school auditorium and it was packed. And then they took those films um, and he got into theatricals and did some stuff in Northwest Territories where he he built a film for the Canadian government uh, when they were trying to figure out if it was if it was uh, viable to hunt it. And that was called Challenging the Northwest Territories. And so he built that and a bunch of other theatrical films and he took them through theaters. That's what that means. Movie theaters. Then in the 80s they took those films and put them on VHS tape. And back in the day there used to be even before Blockbuster there you know every little community had a video rental store and you would rent you'd go down there on a Friday night and for 5 bucks you'd rent a movie and you had to watch you know watch it and return it by 10 the next morning and be kind and rewind and all that stuff. And so they took all those those old films, I think there were 13 of them. And he took all those films. I look over there because the posters on the wall over there. <laughs> um, he took thirteen of them and did that with them, and um, sold them to all over the the country. So I also get guys that are in their forties going, "Man, we used to go down there and we couldn't wait for the next one to come out, and we we you know we'd rent it and wear it out before we had to tear it you know turn it back." And so he did that. Now my dad, how my dad was obviously grew up with my grandfather you know drug along with him and uh, he has this famous saying about that he th- he didn't know that other people didn't spend all summer in a sleeping bag filming stuff he thought that was what everybody did until he got into the military and he's a Vietnam vet and realized that this isn't what everybody did this is you know being able to sleep in a sleeping bag every night was not something everyone did so and then he became he came back from Vietnam and in the 70s he was an outfitter and then in the 80s um, my grandfather needed some help selling these videos because they, they had to physically go to every one of these little towns and walk into the shop and open up a case and, and sell them. And so my dad helped him do that. And he's been in every single little town everywhere, especially on the East Coast and down South where those guys really loved and hadn't, you know, they didn't, this is all before Outdoor Channel and even TNN and, and you know, all the, the stuff were, they were starting to put hunting on. This was before that, and so the only way you got hunting or wildlife content is to put on VHS and and watch it. And so um, he started that when he was in he was in Harrisburg, which is today today it's still one of the largest outdoor shows in the world. Um, and he was sitting in a booth, peddling VHS tapes, and people from Pennsylvania and in the surrounding areas kept asking him. So you're from out west how do you hunt out there? We hear that there's a, you know, I really want to shoot an elk. That's on my priority, you know, bucket list. (laughs) And he got tired of answering the same question over and over again. So he kind of made a, like a frequently asked questions sheet. And it was, yes, you can hunt out West. Yes. There's X amount of public land. Yes. You know, elk is a doable thing. And, and, and yes, you put a four-year plan and shoot an antelope and a mule deer, then go after elk kind of thing. And it, you know, he would hand those out because, the people would just clog up his booth, asking him questions, <laughs> and no one buying anything. It's a little hard to pay for dinner when that happens. So he was built this this frequently asked questions that turned into a pamphlet, that turned into a magazine, and today is our flagship. That's Eastman's Hunting Journals, and you know he he was able to take that and then build the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal magazine on top of it, and then put the Outdoor Channel, add the Outdoor Channel um, TV show on top of that. And, you know, it was, it was running really good. And we had lots of subscribers have have lots of subscribers and lots of really good partners in the industry. And then, um, he turned 62, I think, or 63. And, uh, he basically walked into my office and my brother was involved in the, in the company and still is, uh, to a fair amount, but he was involved in the company. He walked in and said, I, I don't want to do this. This is, <laughs> I want to retire. Uh, I don't, you know, I want to, he said, I want to, on the next chapter of my life, he want to, we had built a, a really n- a nice cabin about, well, a stone's throw away from the wilderness here in, in the Tooth. And he said, your mother and I want to move up there and we want to, you know, live all year, 220 inches of snow. It's okay. Mm. We, you know, kind of move back to, to what they grew up in is that type of environment. And so, he said, I'm going to either sell it or you guys can figure out how to buy it from me, but I need this amount of money for it to, reach in order to retire. And so I put a plan together. So let me back up a little bit. Um, I was a banker. I went to college and got a degree in finance and marketing. And I was working for, uh, I was a credit analyst for First Interstate Bank. And we did mostly ag loans where I was. I was humming along going to be the next president of one of their, of one of their, um, areas and, and humming right along. Life was pretty good. And my parents came to me and said, listen, we both just have high school educations. And, um, this is in 2003, We, we need some help. This thing's growing to the point where it's beyond our understanding and we need, you know, secure financing and, and all of this stuff, and uh, I said, well, how do you tell your parents no, right? And you're like, well, right. that company is pretty much my, my little brother. It was started when I was 10. So, mm-hmm. okay, I'll come back and we'll figure this out. And so I came back and and, and um, I was running the operations. My brother was running the creative side of it and, and you know, the content and building the articles and the magazines and TV shows and all that stuff. And I was running the sales department and marketing and, and uh, finance and all of the other things. And it was clump clipping right along until 2008 when, or 2007 when my dad said, I'm done. You guys figure this out. And so uh, I put together a plan, went to some banks and uh, secured the financing and bought it for my parents. And, you know, and then in 2010, um, I started our digital division. We kind of went through that 2010 bubble pop and everybody's going Digital digital media is the new thing and YouTube and, you know, whatever else that (laughs) meant back then. And and traditional media is dead. I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pivot again. And so we did and started uh, the YouTube channel, which has, I don't know, 250,000 subscribers on it. And I think it's 180 million views or some ridiculous thing. We started our e-news, which is a newsletter we send out with not only hunting content, but also gear reviews, um, you know, hot topics like whatever's happening, corner crossing or predators or whatever. Um, so we send that out once a week. And then, and then we started um, in 2000, uh, I think it was 16. 17 we started the podcasts and now we have six podcasts um brian barney does our eastman's elevated i have a predator pros podcast eastman's predator pros we have western huntsman which is kind of more a political it's hunting but it's a, he really tackles the political side of stuff uh, constantly telling people I re, that he really wants to sit down and interview the there's a gal that is an extremist for on um, you know for trying to protect the wolves. He's like, I really want to sit down and interview. Good luck with that. Um, then there's my podcast, which is Eastman's hunting journal podcast. And I talk to interesting folks. Um, you know, I just did, I just did one with Aaron Watson and he's a hunter and, and he's unique because he's never signed with a label. He's just done, he's been, you know, singing country and singing in honky tonks for 25 (laughs) years and is really good at it. A uh, hell of an entertainer. So I, you know, him and and Glenn Eberly from Eberly Stock, who's an Olympian and a former U.S. Um, Air Force pilot. You know, just interesting people, getting their perspective on life and what life really means, um, as well as you know, great stories from their life. And so you know, there's there's though, and then we started Eastman's Bow Hunting Podcast, where Dan Picard and Brian Barney sit down and they really go into real depth on strategies and uh equipment i mean they're gonna sit down and have a whole podcast on weight forward and what it means and why why did why do we why should i care um that type of stuff so and then we have um i i got convinced by my managing editor um todd helms to start a wingman um division and that's all wing shooting so it's upland birds it's a waterfowl it's turkeys you name it, if it's got wings, doves. You name it, if it's got wings. Uh, Todd wants to hunt it, and it's been, it's been wild. How many guys wing hunt? Um, because there's nothing else to do in the winter, right? But That January, February, March times is is pretty boring. So if you can go December, January, part of February, or all of February, and wing hunt, and then parlay that with with um, snow geese all the way into the spring. I mean, it gives you gets you out in the field and shooting and doing the outdoor life thing. So he has a podcast. Uh, it's Wingman podcast. He also has a TV uh, online series, and he also does a, bl- a blog-type um, newsletter as well. It's all cool stuff. And he just launched, or he's about to launch in September, a documentary on sage grouse. And this is a, t- a topic that I've been really worried about for the last five years because Sage Grouse is kind of the canary um of of our wildlife and of our, our ecosystem out out west. And if they put those on the endangered species list, it will shut down. And I, I can't remember the acreage, but it's like thirty three million acres of of um uh thirty three million acres of public land that you won't be able to access. And it it's wow. huge. When you see the map, I mean it's Part, better part of Northern Utah, better part of Southern Idaho, all of Wyoming, parts of Montana, Colorado, even into the, into the Dakotas. It's a huge, huge area. And if they shut that down because they're on the endangered species list, all that recreating has gone. No more biking, no more off-roading, no more, you name it, fishing, no more of that. And so wow. we dive into the, the complexity of sage-grouse and why they're such, um, wh- what's happening to them, what's, what's being done to help them. And it's a really, really interesting documentary. So if you're a hunter or a fisherman or an outdoor person, mm-hmm. um, take a look at that. It'll be, um, we're launching it at the end of September. Um, it'll be on the outdoor channel. It'll be on everywhere you get it, YouTube, everything. So, so
0: with that, just real quick, I, I didn't realize that they were even close to that. Cause here it's pretty much like they're, from what I understand, there's not really a limit during certain months on sage grouse in Utah.
1: So um, there is, um, what they did is they, they shortened the season way down. So it's mm-hmm. usually like, like in Wyoming, we used to have a whole month of September hunt them. Now it's two weeks. And now just recently, the last couple of years, they put limits on them. So you can only have, I believe in Wyoming, you can only have four birds, um, in your possession.
0: Okay. Maybe w- that's what it was. It's like two, two a day or four. You, so I don't know, but yeah, it's two it a was, day it, and
1: four total. Yeah. Okay. And interestingly enough, um, Jonathan, is they found it? hunting's not the problem. It's habitat, of course, mm-hmm. right? Because we're not taking enough birds out yeah. of the system to really dent the system. What's really happening is habitat and predators. Um, ravens are just mm-hmm. absolute hell on them when when they're nesting. And they'll go in and, and decimate, you know, a whole group of sage grouse nests. Because wow. um, they can hover over them and fly over them and, you know, find a nest and then eat every egg. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. Mm. It's very, very complex. It's not one thing, it's a bunch. Um, And it's interesting, the industries that have come together to try and help uh, the habitat and and change, you know, the oil and gas industry, they really stepped it up knowing that if those birds get on there, their leases are done and which is going to affect the economies. It's going to affect, you know, the pump price,
0: all Mm -hmm. that stuff.
1: And so, They've, you know, they've developed systems and, and mitigation banks and stuff to help m- make sure that doesn't happen. And they're really stepping up, spending more money than anybody. Well, I <laughs> shouldn't say that recently the U S government just, uh, donate or not donated, but they allocated, uh, billions of dollars for habitat restoration. Wow. So it's good, but it's very complex. Yeah,
0: no. Sounds like that's interesting. I never even thought. I just know that they're the bird that I, whenever I can't find an elk, and I end up finding that. That's what I end up shooting. So, <laughs> because,
1: so those those could be those could be uh, mountain grouse, which are different. Yeah. Sage grouse are the ones that you know they they are when they're on their legs, they bubble up and they make mm-hmm. the funny noise with the well, it chest sounds like a heartbeat, the, almost yeah, like yep. a,
0: yeah, the heartbeat of the mountain is kind of what I've referred to it as, just because yes. it it uh, is interesting because we were up in Idaho. This past well, it was a spring, and we were out there looking for bears. Of course, that's when we saw all the elk. We saw everything else, going, but we couldn't find a bear. We found everything else though, and uh, it turned out it was grizzly country anyway. So, you know, I hadn't scouted that very well, but uh, anyway, long, yeah. Long story short, um, we would get out of the truck to glass some hillsides, and I kept hearing that that low. I mean, it's, it's all I can describe it as is like a heartbeat or yeah. it sounds like maybe an amp that someone's, you know, tapping on a microphone or something, right. but it's like, it resonates. It's crazy. How, how far that sound travels. And, um, anyway, it, it's pretty cool. Sage grouse are awesome except for, you know, again, when you're walking out at night, you haven't seen an elk all day and, uh, they decide to spook you by yes. jumping out of the trees and just like take it off, you know, in a, in an explosion. But, yeah. um, yeah, they're, they're awesome birds for sure. So I'll have to look into that because I, I had no idea they were even close to being on the endangered list.
1: Yeah, they about 10 years ago, um, they almost put them on the list mm. and uh, Wyoming, which was the first state to do it, stepped it up. Our governor, Governor Meade stepped it up with a mitigation task force and within months, um, within one season, turned around... Uh, you know, they were, they were falling off really fast. Mm-hmm. The good thing is sage grouse, if you do a few things, it helps, you know, significantly. And they were able to do some stuff, protect some areas and, and they were able to bring it back, um, or up, at least on the up, upswing of the thing. But it was really, really close, really close. So I think it went, I, if I remember right, it went all the way to the top, um, one of the ladies that we interviewed who is, uh, been part of, I think she said four or five listings of species. She said the only reason it didn't get listed was time. And if, if they mm-hmm. had more, if it would have been fast tracked, it would have got, they would have got listed. And as gotcha. we all know from bears and wolves and everything else, it is almost impossible to get them off the list once they get there. It it really is.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I just looked it up real quick. So I guess I, I'm referring to mountain grouse is yeah. what I've shot. So yeah, I didn't realize there was that big of a difference. But no, I, I see it now. That makes sense. Um yeah. so yeah, I that's cool. Um uh, that that's really good information, especially for people out there looking to to get involved in something and, and realizing how big of an impact that one bird can have on elk hunting, deer hunting, recreation, fishing, all yeah. of those things just to protect that one bird. So um you know, I imagine mountain grouse aren't because I see them everywhere. So yeah, they're, they're not, probably not. I don't even think close. they're
1: anywhere close to being okay. on the list. It's right. the sage grouse.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. So that makes a lot more sense then, because I was like, "There's no way these are endangered." I'll take pictures just during my <laughs> couple weeks out in the woods and show them. Like they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm not. I'm yeah. I, I'm not sure there is a limit on those, especially if yeah. you consume them in the field. Which that's one of my favorite things during elk hunting is mm-hmm. take take the blunt out and pop a sage grouse and have fresh meat that night exactly
0: man it was so good this this last season when i i popped a couple of them um again i was frustrated because i had gotten close on an elk it didn't happen so i'm like you know i'm walking out and it was like just barely light and of course this thing runs across my path you know I pull my bow out and pop them and and bring them back and have some noodles with some fresh uh sage grouse or i guess grouse mountain grouse um, meat and uh man it was oh that was delicious so yeah yeah I'll definitely have to keep an eye out on that, but no, that that's uh, that's really good information. And I personally have looked for a lot of ways to get more into conservation and actually taking action, um, and then of course using the podcast to get this information out there. So that's definitely really good for people to look into. Um, I'm not much of a, a wing hunter, to be honest with you. Um, I usually use the winter time to go sledding with the kids, and uh, you know, just kind of take a break from hunting so my wife doesn't you know, divorce me, but, uh, so she know. allows you
1: to do it next fall.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I mentioned going spring bear hunting this year for the first time. And she was like, oh, so this is becoming a year round thing now. Okay.
1: <laughs> I just turned go shopping a year round thing. I'm just asking yeah, right? for a friend.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the problem is I'm the spender in the family too. so. Ah. <laughs> Ah. But, uh, but yeah, so with that, with that being said, as far as that, uh, you know, that documentary, we'll definitely have to, um, drop a link whenever that comes out and, and make sure that people go watch that. Cause that'll be good information. Um, I do want to hit on, so the, the corner crossings too, is a thing that last year when I was up in Wyoming, uh, I took my kids up and it was, uh, you know, I kind of take antelope as, or pronghorn, whatever people want to call him um, as a, almost an easier introductory hunt because they're everywhere in Wyoming and we were North of Evanston. So they were deaf, like they were just, I mean, it was like rats. They were all over the place. And, um, and so I took my sons up and I was able to leave them in the truck and I had to wait for the herd. I got about 200 or whatever yards off the road. Um, it was like a dirt road and then waited for the herd to get into the actual square that was public land. And, um, the boys were able to stay warm. It was freezing out there. They were able to stay yep. warm, pull up the binoculars, watch the shot, go out and help me clean it. Uh, but it's interesting this corner crossing thing, and I kind of want to hear your opinion on it because uh, my personal opinion is, is it seems a little silly to not allow people to corner cross. Uh, I understand private property. I get that. I respect that. But getting from one spot to another when they literally can't their their property locked, um, you know, just doesn't make sense to me but what, I mean, you know more about it. You live there. So what's, what's, I guess, your take on it?
1: So, um, interestingly enough, i just to give you a little back story. Corner crossing has been a subject for a long time. Um, if, if you've lived in Montana for longer than 10 years, they were fighting it 10 years ago. And honestly, the, the, the law enforcement just kind of turned a blind eye to them doing it because in Montana, people have been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's unique is, for instance, if you're in North Dakota, North Dakota, it has um, so many yards from that that section line is public access. So you can walk down the section lines to access You can't, you know, get out of that easement, but you can walk Hmm. down every section line to get into public land. Wyoming has always been very, very, um, I guess, uh, it was never legal to corner cross. Um, Wyoming was started by ranchers and currently a lot, uh, the majority of our legislature, uh, state legislator is still in the ag industry. Um, they kind of developed it that way. We, we have, they have to be there January through March, 40 straight days. Um, and, and no one can take that much time off unless you have nothing mm-hmm. else to do in the winter. Um, and so they kind of stacked the deck that way. Um, so they've been very, very, uh, strict on the corner crossing, I would say now. So that's one of the reasons why, uh, there was organizations that threw money, to help defend these guys uh, by crossing, you know, they've been corner crossing. They, and they took it through the court system. They took it through the court system and uh, made it to where it w- it w- that they didn't prosecute these guys for it. Now, that does not make it legal. That mm-hmm. just means that the, that one case, it d- didn't, it, they didn't um, prosecute them. It doesn't mean that everybody can come to Wyoming and corner cross because you, they can still get tickets for it Mm -hmm. because they haven't set that as a precedent one way or another. It has to go through the legislation for it. Number two. So then, so then the rancher decided that he was going to sue them um, on the, Mm. uh, uh, oh, I'm escaping the The civil side, civil side. And they lost that as well. And the, the, the judge actually made a statement the reason you lost this is cuz the way you have acted basically the case was horrible what the, in my opinion what the the ranch manager and the rancher did which the rancher doesn't live on the ranch he has a mm-hmm. ranch manager that that he and he behaved poorly on this in my opinion from what i read in the documents he really did and i watched the video he really performed extremely poorly tried mm-hmm. to buffalo these guys that the whole thing was his um, I also think that we had this is a slippery slope. Uh, I think one of one of our top ten rights in the U.S. is is land ownership, and it's what differentiated us from Europe. It's one of the things that the founding father- fathers were very adamant on: is that we own the land; the government can't just take it over; it has to go through a process. Um, because if you remember when they came over here, that's what, that, that's what was happening in Europe. They were getting Mm -hmm. prosecuted and the government just came, the king just came in and took all your land, all your farmland. And you were stuck there with nothing or being, you know, a slave to him. So I think it's a very slippery slope. Not that I don't agree because I do agree that just crossing a chunk, you know, crossing a pin that's set in the ground from one corner to another corner has zero impact on the ground that you're not touching zero impact. So here's, here's, and, and I'm, I'm trying to catch my words because this, I know I'm, I, I get beat up a lot about this mm-hmm. yeah. because I don't want as a, as a property owner in Wyoming, I don't want my neighbors doing it to me. And because it, because it's never just crossing a pin pretty soon. They're hunting on you and taking your game and then dragging it across a corner and going no it was on the public land and you know how you know unfortunately mm. guys humans we we give an inch and then we take 45 miles that's just how we work right and so i can see where that slippery slope can can start i also see where the pandora's box can start it could go the other way it could go that the legislators say no not only can you not cross the corners but you have to stay 60 feet away from all the all the edges Mm -hmm. or some Mm -hmm. crazy thing because they have the power to do that if they didn't in north dakota they wouldn't have went the other way Mm -hmm. that 60 feet or i don't know exactly what it is but there's there's an easement down that section line so if they can do an easement down the section line our state could say there is no easement in fact every section line there's 60 feet of of uh you know that you have to keep away from so that's, and, and nobody wants that because that will, that'll create reboundings and all kinds of a mess in my opinion. So I'm hoping that our legislatures do what's right and do what they're, they were voted for and get it into a, a very, very, um and they won't cause this is not how legislatures work, but I hope they get it into a writing. That is very easy for law enforcement to determine what the law is. And then guys stick to that law. I'm not saying it's one way or the other. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I hope those guys do what needs to be done and make it so that there's no question. There's no question. Law enforcement doesn't have a question. The judges don't have a question. And me as a hunter, I don't have a question. Yeah. Um, and Wyoming's unique because it is more checkerboarded than most states. I mean, you go mm-hmm. to southern Wyoming, and it's every other section is uh, public. The other sections are owned by the railroad. Okay, is the railroad have the right to keep you off legally? Yes, they do, and then you can't cross. So, I mean, it's it's very complicated. Um, yeah, it's very complicated, and I hope that they do it correctly. Now, like I mentioned, Wyoming's one you've got a ton of states that need uh, Nevada is very similar. Um, Montana is very similar. Montana may have a bigger problem because this show is brought to you by
0: PSE archery guys. I'm telling you, these bows are outstanding. Go check them out at your local dealer. PSE archery. We've also got first form and first form outdoors guys. Amazing supplementation, but more than that, the education behind it so that you can achieve your goals. Definitely check out First Form Outdoors, link down below to get free shipping over $75. Montana Knife Company knives that are made by hunters for hunters, guys, they're workhorses, I'm telling you. Montana Knife Company knives, definitely go check them out. Black Ovis, use code REDBEARD10. You guys will save some money on already amazing prices over there at Black Ovis. They have some outstanding gear, whether it's their brand or some of the brands that they carry. Definitely go check them out. Go grab your new pair of crispies over there as well. Initial Ascent, best backpacks on the market. All in digiscoping. Guys, there's a bino adapter now as well as the spotting adapter. Highly recommend it. Quick acquisition, simple and it's high quality. Definitely go check them out. A3 Archery Bowstrings, Cryptech, Kestrel Glassing Systems, Dark Energy, Go Ruck. Guys, if you want to up your game with your training, definitely go check out Go Ruck. Use code Redbeard10 over there, save some money. Sheepfeet Custom Orthotics, My Medic, Canvas Cutter, Affect, Beard Oil, Joybees, The Bow Hitch, Alpen Fuel. Heather's Choice and the Crazy Elk Company. Guys, all of those companies that I partnered up with, I use the gear and I want you to be able to get the best price as possible. Check out any links down below and any codes that will save you some money are always in the show notes. So go check them out, guys. Support the channel, support the partners. Thank you so much for your support. And now let's get
1: back to the conversation. They aren't as checkerboarded which means there's one corner that could access. They could open up huge chunks of public land that have yet to be um, opened. Hmm. I'm not convinced it's going to go very far because the ranch, the landowners now in the in the West, typically are your. Um, very, very wealthy individuals. And I'm not talking just conservatives that are wealthy. I'm talking, there's a lot of people on the other side of that, that realm, um, that are extremely wealthy and trying to protect their property. And I don't hmm. think, I don't think the legislatures will have a choice, but yeah, there, yeah. there's a yeah. long answer to a very complex question.
0: No. Yeah. And that definitely makes sense. I, I just, uh you know, when you, when you, say it that way, that makes sense. I guess I'm just coming from the perspective of a guy that's got good intentions. And uh, I can also see where there's those negative or, or bad examples, bad apples of, of hunters that would take it and run the other way, which is awful because, you know, from my perspective, I'm like, I'm not a landowner up there. So, you know, what I land, what I own is public land. And I can't get to my public land because I can't get to this corner and, you know, respecting that I'll respect it, but it doesn't mean that I'm not frustrated by it, you know? Yeah. And then I didn't even realize I haven't even honestly looked a lot in Montana. Um, as of right now, I'm trying to keep it to one out of state hunt per year, but when I do get there, I'm sure, you know, you're mentioning that there's areas that you can get into bigger chunks of public, but you have to pro you have to go through, you know, the private now, I guess I mean it's not as hard as long as you're able to get a hold of the public or the private landowner you're able to you know cross right I mean is that basically what it boils down to you just have to put a few extra steps in
1: well n- Montana's very complex cuz those guys bought those chunks of property on purpose because mm-hmm. they surround a, you know it's just acreage so mm-hmm. if you buy 10,000 or 20,000 acres and there's a 20,000 acre of public chunk in the middle of it. Now, guess what? You have a 40,000 acre ranch because you Mm. just lease that for not much. And, you know, it, it is, um, it becomes a big place. Uh, the other, the other complexity of this, and we haven't even really talked about this is there are, there are States that when you lease the public land, the state land, for instance, you lease the state land, you get grazing and hunting and recreating Mm -hmm. as part of your lease. And so they can keep you out of that. Wyoming is not that Mm -hmm. way. Wyoming is you get grazing leases and they don't lease any of the other stuff, but you get the grazing rights. So, I mean, it, it adds another level of complexity when, when a guy you know, gets the leasing, the lease of the public land and gets all the other amenities. Mm. But Montana does have, you know, there's some chunks of property where if you could corner cross or have, you know, a 10 foot access from a county road, 10 feet in, and then it opens up, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 acre chunks of public land. That's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's what, here's what I say to people and they go, well, okay, what, what can we do? Well, number one, let your legislators know which direction you want in whatever state that is. Now, coming from like you're saying, well, I'm out of state, that doesn't help. That's true. But just letting them know, even though you're out of state, they will, they will go, well, if there's guys from Utah, there's probably guys from Wyoming that think the same way, especially if they hear a, go, a couple guys from Wyoming say the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can do, and this is really um, something that people don't think of much, Look at some of these nonprofit organizations, and I'm going to use Elk Foundation as an example, but they all do this. Elk Foundation, just I'm going to use them as an example because I know it very intimately. Um, I'm not on the board or anything, but I I know them intimately because of following them on a couple chunks of property. Mm -hmm. They are really, really good and have the means to go in. There's a um, Maui River in Oregon. They just bought this huge chunk of property from a timber company. That opened up the whole Eagle um, Cap Wilderness. It's a, I think it's a, I think it's twenty thousand acre chunk, or two, maybe it was two twenty thousand acre chunks. But they're gonna make it, and they 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 donated it back to the state for state property with some obviously conservation stuff on it, and and a few stipulations like don't let them do this kind of stuff. But it's gonna open up that entire. Uh, West side of the Eagle Cap Wilderness to public land so that hmm. you can access it. So you can, you know, it's not a seven hour horseback ride to get back in there. It's a two hour horseback ride. You know, you can actually hike, you can actually fish the river and steelhead fish that river. That hasn't been, you know, they haven't been able to do that ever because Elk Foundation is doing it for the right reasons, which means they're opening it up for the common hunter, the common recreator. There's a chunk of property in Montana that. They, um, the landowner got really tired of the Forest Service not um, maintaining his, his, the easement that he gave them and basically said, I'm revoking the easement. I have Mm -hmm. the opportunity to revoke this if you abandon it. And I'm calling it abandoned, which then shut down a chunk of, a big chunk of, of public land. Well, the Elk Foundation stepped in there, and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? what let's sit down at a table and just have a conversation." And mm-hmm. so he, they sat down at a table with the with the powers that be, of the Forest Service, the the landowner, and RMF, and they worked out a deal that RMF would help maintain that access, and it's only like four miles of road of you know, a two track road, but it was timbered fallen in on it. and Nobody mm. had maintained it. And the forest service was trying to abandon it because they didn't want to maintain it. And the Elf Foundation goes, there's a ton of hunting in this. There's a ton of elk, you know, behavior. This, this needs to be maintained. And so they ponied up the money to do it. Other organizations just decided to sue the forest service <laughs> that, that there is a time and place for that. I'm not going to lie.
0: Do they have but, a 20 year old running their, Like it just, uh, you know, when I hear that, I'm like, man, there's so many things that could be solved by a simple communication and not even just emails, but a a phone call, a sit down meeting, even just a virtual meeting. But, you know, face to face communication versus we're going to sue you like that kind of crap. It's like going to when you're in a, a nine to five and someone goes over you, goes over your boss and goes to that boss to get you in trouble. It's like, why don't you just tell me you didn't like XYZ thing that I was doing? I would have, you know, would have figured it out. Like (laughs) I'm not unreasonable. That's that's, yeah, that's terrible.
1: But so, so, you know, so I guess the point is get, get involved in some of these organizations and donate some money and, and know your, your regional guy and and Mm -hmm. voice your concerns, show up to the banquets and, and there are organizations that are doing it the right way and helping the access problems um, and helping, helping you know, there's there's big chunks being purchased for, for that very thing. There's, um, you know, habitats being helped on that. You don't have to have money. You don't have to donate money. Mm-hmm. You can put boots on the ground and go plant 7,000 pieces of sagebrush for the Mueller Foundation in, you know, in these migration corridors that are struggling. You can go do, you know, boots on the ground means a lot. Mm-hmm. Those guys struggle with that. That's probably their number one struggle because there's always rich guys that are looking for a tax break to donate money to buy a chunk of property. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's not a lot of guys that'll you know burn two Saturdays or th- two Saturdays and a Sunday to make sure that the fences all have a, a top rail on them so that crossing in the winter isn't detrimental to 5,000 deer, You know that type mm-hmm. of stuff.
0: So I, I just want to ask while we're on this subject, what are some, you've brought up elk foundation, uh, Rocky mountain elk foundation. Um, and then what, I mean, what are some other organizations out there that you would recommend that, you know, actually put action behind their words and don't just suck up your money and then turn around and sue things like they actually go out and do, uh, have these sit down conversations, make it more personable and get things done rather than just talk and take your money.
1: That's a good question. Um, and I hope I don't miss anybody here. So, cause, cause I wasn't prepped for this, but I'll, I'll name some and why, um, mule deer foundation does a really good job. The national mule deer foundation does a really good job of habitat. That is their thing. They, they really don't deal with the access stuff. Um, they've determined that habitat is the number one concern or number one thing that how we can affect mule deer populations. And so they spend the majority of their time in habitat. Hmm. Um, if you're looking for, so then there's some that do ag- advocacy. Uh, I know this sounds weird, but I, bear with me for a second. Safari Club International, which I'm a life member of, because they are really good at rubbing elbows with the right people to make sure that hunter um, hunters still can hunt. And it's not just safaris. That is a very small portion of what they do. They're really, really in, entrenched in North American stuff and being able to hunt in you know the U.S., and being the voice of the hunter in the U S to help them maintain being a hunter, mm. um, Dallas safari club. Now they're a unique one. Uh, it, I, I, I am always reluctant to call them Dallas safari club. I started calling them DSC because they are bigger than just Dallas. They were started in Dallas, but now they're all over. There's chapters here in Wyoming. There's a chapter in Utah, Montana, and they have a very unique, um, the way that they do their books is really unique. 75% of the money that is raised at our Wyoming banquet here stays in Wyoming. Then there's 10% that goes to an advocacy um, that talks about hunter's rights. And then there's a very small portion of that that goes into into the administration on the national level. And they are very good at keeping that. In fact, a lot of times they don't take it because they'll get donors that donate money and and resources to the administration so they don't have to pull out of the general funds they that's a really unique organization and they do a ton for north america and they do a ton of hunter advocacy people in washington making sure that you and i's rights are being represented and you and i's interest as hunters being represented in these big conversations about you know endangered species or uh, gun control or you know hunting just hunting rights period um they do a really good job uh The Theodore Roosevelt Partnership, TRCP, they do a really good job. They are probably the most well connected of the groups as far as um, lobbyist type stuff in Washington. Um, They do a really good job. There's, and I know I'm missing five or six. Uh, If you're into waterfowl, I know that um, the Delta Waterfowl is really, really good. Ducks Unlimited is huge. They do a lot of stuff, but you know they they do uh, really good things. Um, the The Shooting Sports Foundation, NSSF, they do awesome stuff for gun rights. Uh, they are not they are not connected to the NRA. People think they're the same. They're not. They're a an organization that you know they're the ones that are keeping shooting in the schools. They're the ones that are that are actually fighting the fight to make sure that our gun rights, our number two amendment, is not getting stepped on. Um, I know I'm forgetting some here. Have you heard uh, of um, Howl? Yes. So okay. they're a unique organization because they are in a really, they're really, really good. And they will at some point be the other way, but they're really, really good at informing us of what's going on and keeping us up to date on what's going on and then giving us the tools to contact the right, the right people to you know, hey, this is—we're mm-hmm. not accepting this. I'm your constituent, and this is unacceptable. I need you to fix it. They are really good. They're starting. What it, if, I, if I remember it? They were started out of California, and it was all about the black bear. And then it, mm-hmm. and then they got into mountain lions. I might have that backwards. It might have been mountain lions and then black bear. But they—they um, they are. They're a good information source for sure. If you yeah. aren't subscribed to them, subscribe to them because then you'll get all the the information from all the states, not just California, but from every state, everything that's going on nationally uh, to keep you informed uh, and 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 to see how this to connect the dots and see how this this game is really being played.
0: yeah. And what I like about them too, is like you said, they provides the tools so you can still act because there's some people like you said that don't really have the time or the money to burn necessarily to go out and either donate or to spend those two Saturdays and a Sunday because um, they want to be with their family. And so, and you can turn into a family activity for sure, but yep. uh, how does an awesome job with, they have some, whatever their algorithm and that's just what I call it. Cause I don't know what it's technically called, but a way to get to where your emails are not put in a spam folder somewhere, Yes, they actually get to the people that you're trying to contact and so they kind of do the legwork for you, and all you have to do is go in and make sure you you know let them know, um, yep. let let your your representatives know. So so yeah, they're definitely an awesome one. I know they're pretty new, but um they're doing a really good job. And then uh, I'm trying to think, um, Blood Origins. Have you do you know much yep, about? I know.
1: Them? Yep, I know Robert pretty well. Um, it, that's a great organization. That you know that each one of these has a unique thing, like mm-hmm. how a very unique thing and so what you're interested in you know is is unique in, in in what's 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 important to you may not be as important to me and what's important to me may not be as important to you and, and blood exactly. origins does a really good job oregon hunters uh association they do a great job in oregon and that state really needs some help mm-hmm. um they're fighting you know they're fighting a rough one over there mm-hmm
0: Oh yeah, no, for sure. And that's, that's why I wanted, and obviously we didn't name everyone. Right. So I don't want to think, you know, I don't want people to to think that this is the only list, but yeah. I love that you mentioned it. See, you know, we've hit on mule deer, uh, elk, you know, how like there's different organizations that people can pick and choose. I just recommend, and I'll leave kind of a, a list of them down here in the description of the podcast so people can go check them out for themselves and see how they can get involved. And you can pick and choose how you want to get involved. Don't feel like you have to do all of them, um, yep. but find ways that you can you can be active in conservation uh, because it is slowly being eroded, especially on the west coast with California, Oregon, and Washington's another yes. big one right now too. That is just completely destroying, uh, you know, conservation as long as hunt as far as hunting is concerned. Yeah, um, you know, the other one and.
1: I- and the but, other one I want to mention is the sheep. I'm just going through my the sheep mm-hmm. foundation. Mm-hmm. I know not everybody's a sheep hunter, um, but you have to understand that, that 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 species is really really delicate in our mm-hmm. ecosystem, and for what they're doing with sheep, it it uh, cascades down and and affects other species, including deer, including elk, mm-hmm. and and they do a really good job. And it, you know what? Uh, the sheep show that's in Reno is one of my favorite shows. It, it's real small, but it is like a tight knit family and a lot of a lot of fun.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And I I've spoken with, I've actually had um, both the husband and wife on the podcast previously. I should probably get him back on. But yeah, it was interesting. He almost got the bug of sheep hunting into me because just the way he talks about sheep, and uh, and it was interesting that these hardened animals have such a weak immune system when it comes to certain things um, that they can't be introduced to species of, you know, whether it be a a certain animal or whatever you get, you drop one little, Bit of some disease in there, and they just get wiped out. It's crazy. So yep. uh, that's definitely another one to to look into for yeah, sure. Gray
1: does good. He does really good over there. Has, has yep. done really good, especially with young people. You know, trying to mm-hmm. the, he calls it the less than one club. <laughs> it's all yep. of us that never killed a sheep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: So awesome. Uh, I do want to bring up a couple of things here. So with um, while we're talking about conservation here, uh, you know, obviously your your family has been in it for multiple generations at this point Uh, but let's talk about Wyoming and what's going on with the deer population there Uh, and you gave up your your hunt this year in in Wyoming for mule deer for a reason so talk about that a little bit
1: yeah so Wyoming um, we started the winter Well, the last few winters have been really good uh, as far as for wildlife. And, and, you know, one of the reasons is because our December's, November and December's were really, really mild. And so it allowed those bucks and, and does to come out of the rut, recoup for a month or two before they hit the bad winter, you know, the bad portions of the winter. Typically, it's January, February, March, and then into April. This year we did get a mild December in January or November and December, but then January hit, and it was pretty bad. and then February continued to be bad. and, and then March was unbelievable. And so what happens? in Wyoming, there's 40,000 head of mule deer that live in the Wyoming the, the red desert. They, they migrate in the, the winter in the red desert. And so that species is really, really or that area, that herd is really, really kept track of. And that's where they started collaring these deer and finding out they were migrating 300 miles and all this stuff. It's also very intricate. And what happens there is happening other places. What happened in March, well, February and March, is we would get warm-ups into the 40s. And so the top of the snow would start melting. And then a week later, it would get 10 below zero or 26 below zero, And it would freeze that top and it freezes, it makes a crust. So you can imagine, you know, walking across your yard with a crust of snow and we call it postholing. And you just, you know, you break through that three, four inches of of snow and then it's just sugar underneath. (laughs) Deer can handle really cold weather. They can handle the 30 below as long as they get, you know, as long as they have access to food and they'll eat all day and most of the night and they just have to keep that fire stoked and they can handle snow but they can't handle both and they definitely can't handle it when it crusts over like that because once it crusts over then they have to dig in the snow to find the food and so they're so the amount of calories that they're taking in is is less than what it took to get to that food through the crust so it's just i mean it's 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 just positives and negatives you know calories in versus calories out Mm -hmm. um They reported, the Wyoming Game of Fish reported that out of that herd, 80% of our deer, not just 80% of our fawns or 80% of our bucks or 80% of the does, but 80% of the population, and they think it may be more than this, um, was was killed during this winter, this Mm. last winter. So I hunt down there uh, every year and have, and it's a general tag for me as a Wyoming resident, I just go to buy it over the counter. Usually I don't buy it until the day I go down there. Um, and I have for, oh my gosh, at least 15, 20 years. Well, actually my, the first year I ever hunted when I was 14, well, back then you couldn't hunt until you were 14. Um, I hunted in this area. And so I decided this year, now Wyoming Game Fish did a bunch of stuff. They shortened seasons. Um, they cut tag allocations. They've done what they can um, or what they feel they they should need to be done to manage it. They cut my season from a 14-day season to a six-day season. Um, I decided if they're cutting it in less than half, I don't need to be down there. I don't need to kill a deer that should be, that hopefully survives and breeds a doe in November and has twins next year. Because I hope we don't have another bad winter. I've been praying for this for six months. And so I don't need to kill a buck that is of breeder age. So that that way this deer population has a hope. I don't need to mm-hmm. do that. I donate. I bought the tag, donated the money back, um, actually, uh, donated the money to some of these organizations that are getting the word out to other groups or to everybody. Hey, you still, we still have to manage these. We still have to pay to manage these deer. Donate your 65 bucks. Donate it to the Wyoming Game of Fish so that they can still manage this stuff, but they're not having to deal with hunters, um, you know, taking additional uh, out of that twenty percent that survived. Um, It was a bad. It was a really bad winter, and and hopefully we come back out of this. Now we're doing. Uh, we talked about the sagegrass documenting. We're kind of doing an expose uh, on what the Wyoming Game and Fish did right and what they did wrong. Um and of course we have the benefit. I'm the first one to say we have the benefit of being hindsight's 2020, right? Um and they're trying they're they have a tough job. They're trying to predict what's going to happen months in advance to years in advance. And mm-hmm. you know, they're under resourced. They're you know I get it. I under, I get it. I'm just telling you we kind of did an expose and went down this rabbit trail. We found a guy that is, uh, worked on the feed grounds, the Wyoming state feed grounds for elk and has a doctorate in, in, uh, ungulate, uh, nutrition. And he claims, and I, and he wrote this, this letter to the Wyoming state daily, which is a new organization, news organization, digital news organization here. He wrote this letter that said Wyoming should have fed the deer. And of course, everybody in my office saw this and was like, Rooch, wait, what? we, I thought we couldn't feed deer because they couldn't digest it. Well, he, uh, got on the phone with, with my brother and and we've known, my dad's known this guy for 35 years. He wrote a book on it. Actually, he wrote a book on, on the Wyoming state feed grounds and how feeding animals works. His thesis is that you can, a deer can, um, if you start early enough, um, before they changed and go purely to browse that if you start feeding them early enough and if you feed them the right amount and the right stuff that it, after three or four days, the bacteria in their stomach will switch back and then they can digest it again. Because one of the Hmm. problems that deer have, and and this happens in in some of the Midwest states, you know, these deer will be standing in some guy's uh, corn uh, silage bin or in, in a hay stack eating hay, and then they kill over dead with a full stomach, kill, die of starvation. Because the bacteria in their stomachs mm-hmm. um, isn't the right bacteria to digest that type of, of food. Their, their stomachs change throughout the year. When it goes from, you know, the winter browse into the spring and green grass, and then it starts, the grass turns brown, it changes again. And then when the grass is, go, you know, the snow comes, then they change into browse, it changes again. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a whole science to this. His thesis is that if we would have started a little earlier or started and did it early, um, we would, we wouldn't have had an 80% die off. It would be more in the thirties and forties tops. Um, which is a huge, that's a huge deal. Now I'm going to get, we're probably going to get strung up about, about, um, reporting this. This isn't my, I'm not a biologist. This isn't my science. This is his, but this is what he claims. And, um, I would love to, and I'm hoping during this expose that we get some Wyoming Game and Fish biologists that tell us why they couldn't do it, and hopefully it wasn't a money thing, because mm-hmm. I know there's people that would have donated money, a lot of money, to feed the deer had they known that th- that was this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and and hopefully we can get this out early enough that they uh, can contemplate if we have a bad another bad winter, they consider doing it and and doing it this winter to maintain or to at least keep some of what we have left.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's, that's crazy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's a kind of a community effort. Cause I feel like sometimes the DNR or the DWR, whatever you call it in your state is they're definitely understaffed that that's for sure. Um, and they're trying to do the best that they can with what they have, but, Bringing in some outside resources, especially in these kind of freak scenarios that they're not used to handling uh, would probably be, you know, even just having a contact list of, okay, we got a crappy winner. Here's a list of people that, like you said, would be willing to donate. Let's contact them if we need money or this guy here, you know, he's got a PhD. He knows what he's doing. We need to go, you know, contact this guy to get some opinions because we may be qualified in biology, but we're not PhDs. We don't know enough about it to, you know, to make this decision that he might be able to have another insight on. So things like that, bringing that community together is definitely a, a big deal. And and I, I don't think by any means, um, you know, it's it would be or come off as extremely negative. Um, and if people can't take feedback on how they performed then that's a problem to begin with. Uh, you should be able to take the good with the bad and realize, hey, yeah, we screwed up, and here's here's some suggestions, so now we can make a game plan for the next crappy winter that we have and how we can protect our our animals, mainly the mule deer in this situation. So um, I, I love that idea of, of having an expose and bringing in some knowledgeable people, and hopefully you are able to get some uh, some Division of Wildlife agents on that they can talk about it, and it's not one of those things that's like, oh, we screwed up, we're not allowed to talk about it kind of deal. So. Um, Hopefully that goes well.
1: Yeah, and and you know, my intent isn't to. I I I do not want this to seem. And I I told the the group that's writing. I said this Mm -hmm. this cannot be beat on the game and fish. It can't be. That's not the point. The point is hindsight's twenty twenty. How you become successful is you look at your mistakes and you and you uh, try and do better the next time. Mm -hmm. That's what this is intended. Also, um. One criticism I've always had about all game and fish departments or all, you know, uh, division of of natural resources or whatever they call it in your state, they're horrible at disseminating information to the right people. You know, they put a press release out or put it on their website and put it on their social media and go, okay, everybody knows. No, (laughs) because nobody follows that stuff. No, but mm-hmm. you know Joe Fenicknick That's working a a twelve hour shift is not reading the the game and fish's press releases. No, but he's reading stuff from companies like me. There he's reading stuff from other companies. You know that he's listening to your podcast. He's reading stuff and and consuming content. If they could give us the information so, and help us spread the word of what they need, um, I guarantee you, there's listeners to your podcast. There's listeners to my podcast, and in my audience, that would go. Oh my gosh they, they need they need money for hay. I'll donate directly to the Game of Fish because I know that's mm-hmm. where it's going to go. It's not going to go to to uh, some fat cat's uh, private jet to fly to to uh, Washington D.C. to talk to someone. <laughs> it's it is going to the DNR or to Game of Fish, and they're actually getting hay and they're actually putting it on the ground. Also, there might be guys that go, I can't donate, but my gosh, once again two Saturdays and a Sunday, I can come out and I can help you break bales open. Um, I have these resources that are at my resource or at my um, uh, disposal that I can help with and just get it done the right way. Because one mm-hmm. thing that humans can do, and we do it really well when when we're passionate about it and we're informed about it is we can come together as a team and we can overcome anything. If you don't believe me. Look at the space station. Look at the moon. Look at the internet.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm I'm hundred percent on board with you. And you know, whoever has taken over the national uh it was it national parks, is it Twitter or Instagram or whatever? And have you seen those funny things they're putting out there where they're like, um uh-uh. you know, when you're oh man, they whoever got a hold of that and they're allowing it's probably some twenty year old, but they're actually like within it's almost pushing the boundaries of not being politically correct. <laughs> and it was kind of surprising the first time I saw one, I was like, there's no way this is a spoof, but it was like hitting on these things of like, always hike with someone that's fatter than you because <laughs> they could be like, it's like, it, it's using those. And safety. It to where, yeah, exactly. Yes. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's hitting on things like that. I'll have to send you some of these uh, Yeah, later, but it's hilarious. And, but it gets your attention because you're like wait hold on a second is this really and you go to their actual website and it's it's legitimately them and so if you know they've found a way to get eyeballs on their stuff um, why couldn't DNR do it and it, i guess the answer is they're understaffed and don't know how to work you know social media podcasts and things like that and all they have to do is get that information to the right people create yeah. a list of email uh, you know people they need to email when something new happens email it out and be like hey this is what we want released um, this is what's going on and or yeah. This is the person that we want to get on your podcast or right. to write an article. Um, yeah, you know, and I'd be more than happy to have them on personally. Yep. I know a lot of people that would.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to sit down with a co- and have a conversation of why they didn't do it, and I won't ramrod them. I, I, mm-hmm. That's not my tent. There's got to be a reason. Hopefully, hopefully, it's not mm-hmm. because we are you know, we're chicken little. I I guarantee you, there's a reason because they don't do things without. So there's a reason. I'd love to know what it is, and yep. and, and and go okay. Do you still feel now that it's hindsight 2020, that was the best decision? Or is there something better next time that we can, you know, is there, is there stop and matrix that we can in place that help us not do this again?
0: Exactly. So. Exactly. You know, and it's like, well, why, why could
1: Utah do it?
0: Are Utah deer that different that they no. can't eat hay and Wyoming no. deer? You know, it's like, there's gotta be something there. And I, I I'm on board with you. I hope it wasn't money related. Right. Um, I have a, I have a feeling that that might've played a an aspect into it, but, um, I, I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, and then on top of that, you know, just kind of to, to wrap things up here, I wanted to ask you about, there's a, there's a documentary that you mentioned is coming out cause your grandfather was going up and recording yeah. wildlife hunts, things like that. And there's something new that's coming out, kind of retracing those, those steps. So, um, talk to us about that a little bit. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a good point. It was it was a heck of an adventure. Um, my grandfather in 1961 and 62 uh, went to he got asked by the Canadian government to go into the Northwest Territories, the McKinsey Mountains specifically, and film the wildlife. There was a guy named Stan Burrell who um, was trying to get the 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 Canadian government to allow him to bring in a small amount of hunters per year and hunt the game in there before it was completely uh, uh it was completely shut down so that the natives the natives that lived there the different tribes you know that was their that was their resource and and, and that was theirs but stan came in to the government and said listen all this money can go back into the native's Uh, you know, the tags and all this stuff can go back in in their pool of money. They can get money off this. Plus, I'm going to bring these guys in there. So, you know, everybody benefits and it's not going to affect the resource at all. Canadian government says, how do you know that? Well, because I've been spending a lot of time up here and this is what's happening. And so they contacted my grandfather who had done a, a fair amount of filming in Alaska and he would film these hunts and stuff, and then bring them back down to the U S and he would live narrate them because there was no audio. He'd live narrate. I'm just going to pause
0: you there real quick because filming back then was a lot different. And I don't think people understand. Like I remember my dad and I'm only 31. So, you know, my dad's like 50 or something like that. And he would carry around a camera to record us as kids. I can only imagine another generation back, the technology you had to take, And how many batteries and all this other stuff that you had to get up there into the wilderness of Alaska and the Northwest Territories, which is even more, um, I guess, undiscovered than Alaska right up there, you know, carrying all that in. I can't, I I can't imagine,
1: you know. Yeah, they would, they had, uh, they had two sets of camera equipment, 80 pounds, that just the camera equipment was 80 pounds each. Um, that's before you know your tents your sleeping bags your food your rifle your binoculars all the other stuff you needed to and survive good backpacks <laughs> yeah, yeah they were using <laughs> army surplus no kidding they were using <laughs> army surplus backpacks wooden frame backpacks um with little you know cheap straps that, that are mm. as, as wide as your belt and and just made out of out of uh you know whatever and in in mm you know they did it for it's not like they went up there for a couple of weeks they went up there for 90 days they lived off the land and 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 they were able to harvest what they needed to eat and and they did it the right way mm-hmm. but it, they're tough and and so he did this in 1961 62 um and they it was a really really amazing story The the on the film was called the film. My grandfather's film was called "Challenging the Northwest Territories." And on this film, there's a guy named Cougar Long who builds this cabin in this huge meadow with a lake called Canal Lake. Um, I didn't know that until uh, we decided to to we all tell the end of this adventure. So Yeti came to us and said they had watched. We did a film. We did a film. uh, I don't know. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and my dad actually went to, these guys were dying off. My grandfather went up there with two of his best friends. My grandfather passed away in 96. And uh, the other guy, one other guy's name was Stan Burrell, or uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, <laughs> Stan Burrell was the outfitter. The other guy's name was uh, Eddie. Oh my gosh, I had a complete, it might just escaped my mane. Anyway, Eddie, and then the other guy's name was Danny Gibbers. So my dad went to Washington where these guys lived and he interviewed them, you know, in 2006. So whatever, do the math, almost mm-hmm. 50 years later, interviewed them about this story. And and we had this footage. And so we put together a YouTube uh, video about that. And we worked in the Challenging Northwest Territories. It was kind of a retro look back at this type thing. Well, Yeti had seen it, and um, they had this, the head of their marking right at the time when they really blew up. um, Corey Maynard was his name. He says, he came to us and said, I want to do, I want to take you guys on, I want to take one of you, you or your brother on a sheep hunt back to the Northwest Territories, and we're just going to retrace this and just see how much it's changed. And they thought they really thought they're going to go in there and it was going to be completely different. There was, you know, there was, there's towns and, and all kinds of stuff. I was like, okay, but we, you know, they came to us in February and they wanted to go that July. Well, these sheep outfitters are booked out two, three years. I mean, it, you don't just get on a sheep hunt. Mm -hmm. Well, just so happened that, uh, one of, one of the guys, Stan Simpson sold his hunting uh, concession back to the natives and then the natives got this gal from uh, northern Br- british columbia to run it for them she Glenda, she'd been running uh hunt- hunts for a long long time and she got, they got her to run the camp and i just happened to know a couple guys dustin rowe and rachel Attila, and i we were at the we were at the safari club actually and bumped into him. I said, Hey, I'm looking for a sheep hunt. Do you know anybody that has had a cancellation or anything that's in the McKinsey's? Um, I, I'm hoping to get back to the, the, the place that was iconic that my grandfather did was called the plains of Abraham. And it's this giant plateau at the top. You know, you look across and all you look across the edge and you can just see the peaks of the McKinsey. And it's this huge 90 by 90 square mile plateau. And, so anyway, I bumped in and they're like, actually, uh, Glinda has a couple hunts open. Let's go talk to her. So the next day we bump into her and she's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, I could do a sheep hunt, but you have to take two caribou hunts. I'm like, oh gosh, okay. That'll be horrible. I guess I'll shoot a mountain <laughs> oh, caribou. <darn. laughs> and so we uh, we started down this road and, and it had to be one of the first hunts. So we went in in July and at the end of July, the beginning of August, and we got, it was typical you know, North country, we got stuck in Norman Wells for three days. And while we were there, we go into this little tiny museum and, uh, the, the little curators there, you know, talking to us. And I walk around the corner and on the wall is five photos of my grandfather and his sheep from that experience. And, and, uh, and she's like, do you know him? I go, yeah, this is the whole reason we're here. And we flip it over. And my grandfather would signed the back of it, to sign the back of the, the photo. And we kind of told her, and she was astonished that she had no idea who they were or what the, what, it, what it was. It was just old-time footage in North or photos of Northwest Territories. So anyway, we fly into our camp and uh, get off this twin otter in this lake. And we take all our stuff up to these little little huts and, and tents and stuff. And there's one building in the middle of this camp. And I walk over and on the wall of this log cabin on the outside of the wall is a plaque and it says DW D. Long 1961. And that cabin was the exact cabin that my grandfather filmed being built in mm-hmm. in 1961. And we're here in, two, in 2018, I think, or 17, you know, whatever years, 50 some years later. And it's still there. They're still using it as a cook shack. And in the, the challenging Northwest Territories, my grandfather, as they're building this cabin, he finds this big sheep on a mountain right on, out, you know, on the other side of the creek from the cabin. And he goes up and walks the sheep down and shoots him. Well, we hunted four days and couldn't find a good ram and come back to the main camp. And sure enough. One morning, the Glinda's dad, who was around forever, looks up there in his spot and scope, and, and of course, you know the days are the nights are really short there. Days mm-hmm. are really long. He goes, "There's some, there's a band of sheep up there," and we look. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's the same mountain that my grandfather shot his on." That's so awesome. we haul all the way up there and uh, spend the better part of twenty four hours getting to the top, and uh, we're able to. My brother, who has the sheep bug, I don't have the sheep bug. He does, and he was able to shoot his Ram on the same mountain that my grandfather did. It was unbelievable. So Yeti did this as a film and it was really, really well done knowing that their audience is very broad. Um, you know, they don't show the kill scene. You, you, you see guys shoot, but you don't actually see the impact. You see the Ram dead. Um, but they did it really, really well. These guys, these two guys out of Colorado, um, they, Travis and, and Ben, we almost killed them a couple times on a rock slide thing. And they were, <laughs> they were like, what did we get ourselves into? I'm like, this is just hunting, man. Um, yep. But it was gone. It was, and so they released it. They actually released it today. So the, around the 1st of September, they released it and it's going gangbusters and people are, you know, they're having, uh, I read one comment this morning Guy, he goes, I am not an emotional man. That really tugged on me. He goes, that really tugged on, on our history and on, you know, looking back at my own family and my own family's tradition and how we've been hunting the same property for years. And, you know, this just, it's just a tradition. It's a family tradition. Everybody has them. We're just blessed enough that my grandfather documented it back then.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's amazing. That's really cool. And I'll, I'll definitely uh, have to leave that link down here as well in the description. Cause that's, I'm going to have to go watch it. That's pretty cool. It's, um, it's, and it's I, on I definitely.
1: It's right. on Yeti's uh, Yeti's YouTube. It's called Grandpa Gordon. It's on Yeti. Okay. Yeti presents, and the film's called Grandpa Gordon. Awesome, awesome. No, that
0: that's really cool, and uh, it's awesome that you were able to go up there and retrace those steps. And obviously, you've got nicer gear now.
1: <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. we didn't have eighty pounds of, of 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 camera equipment, and you know, my sleeping bag was really warm, and sitting in the rain wasn't that Your big boots. a deal. Yeah. Boots. I mean, think oh about my boots.
0: My goodness. Like some of the stuff that I, I'm like, I, I go across it and I worry about the tread on my boots, which I mean, they're, they're crispies and it's the very nice vibrant yep. sole, good grip. and I, And then I think I'm like, man, some of these guys wore boots that were as slick as my church shoes or cowboy boots. climbing up this, what is wrong with me? Like, (laughs)
1: that's right. That's a hundred percent (laughs) right.
0: Yeah. It's crazy to think, but, uh, no, that, that's amazing, man. It's cool that you got to have that experience and, um, go relive some of what your, your grandpa did. So that is really cool. Um, is there anything that we haven't touched on here that maybe you want to bring up to the audience?
1: Um, Yeah, the other thing that's happened uh, this year is we launched what we're calling Tag Hub 2.0. And what that is, is it's our research tool for, you know, hunting out west and tag draws, uh, allocations, how many points it takes to draw, you know, every state, all the big game species. And we finally were able to overlay it with 3D maps. Um, We partnered with a company called Spartan Forge to do this. And you can dump oh you know if you're doing your online research on your computer and you dump a waypoint, we're the first ones that that waypoint pops up on your mobile device and it and it you know it populates with Tag Hub overlay maps, all that. Um, also the one that, the first two that these this research tool not only overlays on your desktop um, mapping, but it also does it inside your mobile app. Um, hmm. so when you're out there driving down the highway and go, geez, man, I see a ton of antelope here and you can pop it open and say, oh, this is area, blah, blah, blah. Here's the draw odds. Here's, you know, application process, all of that stuff. Um, so we just drop that and, uh, there's a subscription, uh, base for that. You can, and you can get, you know, Spartan Forge upgrade t- to allow you to do all kinds of cool things. Spartan Forge is free, but the, the Eastman's Tag Hub portion, I think it's 10 bucks a year or something like that um, that allows you to, to dump that over the top of it.
0: That's pretty cool. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Um, with the, so the tag hub 2.0, that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, uh, definitely, definitely recommend people check that out if they're looking at building out, you know, eventual hunts, um, things down the line that they want to get into. And, uh, I think it's cool that you're interacting with Spartan Forge. They're a really awesome group as well. And yep. I love their, their, um, you know, the stuff that they provide on their app and the maps and the way that they go about it as well. I know a lot of, a lot of Midwest and Eastern hunters really like it. And I've kind of messed around with it for Western hunting as well. And it works really well. So yep. um, definitely recommend that. Well, that's, that's awesome. I and again, I appreciate, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate all the information that you've shared. I think it's really Absolutely. valuable and I, I know people will get um, at least one thing, if not multiple little golden nuggets out of this conversation. So, yeah. uh, is there anything you want to leave with the audience here as we wrap no. up?
1: No, I, I just appreciate what you're doing and appreciate, you know, you, you communicating with guys and, and helping them become better hunters. I have watched a bunch of your gear reviews and, and, uh, you do a really good job of politely saying this isn't as good as it could be. Yeah, <laughs> but you also do a really good job at promoting what is good and and why it's good. You know, I watched the I watched your Evolution Outdoors one and um I watched a couple other the the, the Digi Scoping one was pretty funny. Um you know, MagView's a, a, the one that we used. I haven't got the all all in. I haven't mm-hmm. I have not messed with that one yet. Um but yeah, I think I think that guys get a benefit out of that and I appreciate you doing it.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I I try and keep it the same way that I'll, you know, I talk to people, my my buddies always say I'm the most expensive friend they have. I'm like, you don't pay me anything. And they're like, well, when you get passionate about something, we want to buy it too. Like, <laughs> like Pretty but soon uh, all of a sudden yeah. I
1: have everything you've been talking about.
0: It's weird how that works.
1: <laughs> it is. But
0: uh, no, I, I appreciate it, man. And and thanks again for your time. I know you've got a lot going on and um, I, I love everything that you guys are putting yeah. out there and constantly trying to improve. And like you said, you pivot with what you recognize you guys need to with marketing and et cetera, to get the information out to people. So definitely appreciate that guys. uh, Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. And uh, again, I appreciate Ike being on and you guys go check out the links down below for all the videos, check out Eastman's their tag hub and everything else that we've talked about today. And then more than anything, get involved in conservation in your area. And even across state lines, if you go hunt a different state, um, buy a bear tag, buy a wolf tag, even if you're not planning on hunting them, you know, donate like what Ike was saying to that community that you're going in and taking from their resources as you leave your own state um, and just be a good conservationist while you're being a hunter as well and be a good person. Uh, but again, I thank you so much. And uh, as I always say, guys, get out, live your life and love it. All right, guys, we've learned a ton from Ike today. I really hope you go out and take some action on conservation. Go check out the different links that I'm going to leave down below so you can find the content, the hunts that they go on, the education that they have over there at Eastman's Tag Hub, and all of the other information that we've talked about today. I'm going to leave that information down below. definitely recommend going and checking it out. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in to the podcast today. There's so many other podcasts out there, and you choose this one. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Leave a review and follow the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Guys, even a one-word review, don't feel like it's nothing because it definitely means something to me. I'd love your feedback, and have an amazing rest of your weekend. Of course, guys, as I always say, get out, live your life, and love it.